This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Uh, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. One church, one mission. But before we get into the message today, uh, Jeff already alluded to this as he did announcements. I just have a word of pastoral encouragement for you. You know, this is, this is an interesting week. It's an election week. Um, and so, you know, in this country, every four years we have a, a presidential election. Every two years we have a congressional election. Um, and you know, Tuesday is election day, kind of the culmination of all this that's been going on. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of things happening, a lot of wringing of hands, much talk. Maybe we could say too much talk, uh, a lot of anxiety, speculation, uncertainty and turmoil. And, you know, we live in the midst of that as the followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, and one thing to me that is so reassuring as we go through the book of Acts is that we are not the first generation of believers to live through extreme uncertainty, whether it's a pandemic uh, or, or whatever. There's so many things. You know, in the book of Acts, we have ruthless emperors. We have puppet kings who are doing the, the things that they're told to do. We have governors who want bribes. Uh, we have local officials who hand out illegal beatings, uh, almost as if it's a hobby. We see all these things happening in Acts, and yet God continues to grow his church all the way through the book of Acts. And it's my belief that no matter what happens politically, and I think that we see this in scripture, no matter what happens politically or situationally anything, God is going to continue to build his church through you and through me. And so when you wake up on, uh, on Wednesday morning and the voting is done, and, and when you wake up a month after that and they've actually sorted it all out, <laughs> know this, that God is still on his throne. Um, Psalm 90, I read this yesterday, just a couple of verses. Uh, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting includes Tuesday, it includes Wednesday, and it includes every day in the future after that. And so I'm grateful we have a God who's in control, um, and we can and we can trust Him no matter what happens, and uh, and trust that He is accomplishing His purposes. Um, so that that being said, uh, I want to transition us into our message this morning. So we're going to be in Acts 15. Acts 15. Now here's a question for you: Have you ever bought a new car? Or maybe a new house or a, a new phone and you think, now I've got this new thing, all my problems are going to go away, right? Uh, so maybe you have that new phone and, and, and you're not having any of the same problems, at least Apple, if you have an iPhone, they'd like you to believe that all your problems go away if you buy their, their new phone. Uh, but then you figure out, you drop that phone and the screen cracks on that one just like the old one, right? Or maybe you do have a new roof on your house or even a new house and that first big rainstorm comes through and the chimney leaks, right? So even new things begin to give problems. When we look at the book of Acts, we have this new thing in God's plan. It's called the church. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. All these people who are gathered together to worship him. And it's a new thing. God's doing amazing things. In fact, thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. But this new thing begins to demonstrate a few problems really quickly. Uh, we found this out in chapter 6 uh, where persecution starts happening. Chapter 7, someone's actually killed for their faith. Chapter 5, we have people uh, lying to the Holy Spirit. And then we get to chapter 15 today where there's a problem in the church, a problem that is, uh, I would say, significant enough that it threatens the foundation of the entire movement that God has started. It threatens the entire formation of the church. 
And so I want us to read through this chapter and think about what is this problem? How do we face the same problem? And what is God trying to show us from this chapter that we need to walk away with this morning and not forget about what he's doing, not only in the church in Acts, but right here at Trinity Church, right here in Covington, Louisiana. So let's look at this problem that surfaces in Acts 15, and I think what we're going to see is a major uh, declaration of what the pure gospel is in response to this problem. So uh, follow along either in your Bible or you can watch the screens. Uh, Acts 15, I'm going to read the first five verses for us. So it starts off like this. It says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this is kind of where we jump into this major problem in the church. In fact, this problem keeps coming up again and again throughout the New Testament. And so what we see happening here is, uh, is God is beginning to save people who are not Jewish, uh, the Gentile people, the, the pagans all around the Jews. And that's creating some heartburn uh, for the Jewish believers. But prior to this, last week we were in Acts chapters 10 and 11. So what happened in 12, 13, and 14? Uh, what happened was uh, Paul, this person named Saul who we met in chapter 9, and his compatriot, his, uh, his fellow believer, Barnabas, go out on what we call the first missionary journey. The, the church sends them out and they say, go out and share the good news about Jesus. Share it with anyone you come in contact with. And they do. If you read those chapters, it's like a rapid succession uh, story of how they went from city to city telling people about Jesus. The people responded in faith and thousands of people came to know Jesus. But that brings us to chapter 15, where now we have this problem. And the problem is this. We would call it Jesus plus, okay? What's happening here in the church, in the early church, is you have some people beginning to teach a version of the gospel that we could call Jesus plus. Um, And this is a problem because it's a false gospel. This morning as we celebrated communion, we didn't celebrate Jesus plus something else. We celebrated Jesus alone. And that's what Paul and the early church want us to see. But you know, this is an interesting thing because we live in a culture where ordinarily we assume more is better, don't we? In our current culture. I think that's just a human reality. We always think if I can do a little more, I'll be a little better. If I can get a little more, I'll be a little better. Uh, think about this just with your, with your cell phones, right? We have an iPhone and then we have an iPhone plus, or we used to at least. Uh, now we have an iPhone pro. Uh, so a little more is a little better. Other things, you want to get uh, uh, a home warranty package. Well, they say you can get the home warranty package plus, which adds a few extra things, which is so much better than not having the pluses. I mean, who wants the basic package, right? That basic package that you can get for less money. Nobody wants to sign up for that. We see this with uh, Disney Plus, right? 
if you watch the World Series, everybody, if you're not really cheering for those teams, you kind of root for extra innings. More is better. Uh, maybe you want overtime to extend that game. More is better in our minds unless we come to the gospel. Because if we start talking about Jesus plus, we are polluting the entire message of what it is that Jesus came to do. It's not Jesus plus anything. What we see here in this chapter, in these first five verses, is some of these Christians uh, or these people that are in the church are saying, um, you must have Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus the law of Moses. And so what's the big deal with this? Again, Remember, the church was birthed mostly uh, with Jewish people, people who had followed the law of Moses their entire life, people who were ethnically Jewish uh, and who practiced the law of the Jews, the law that God gave them. And what's the big deal with circumcision? This actually goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. When God chose Abraham, God chose Abraham back in Genesis 12. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then he goes on as the chapters in Genesis unfold. God says to Abraham, If you're my people, here's how you are to walk with me. And I want to show you a verse from Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. This is where God creates a covenant with with Abraham. Basically, it's it's an agreement with him, a, a relationship with him. And he says, the thing you're going to do to set yourself apart as my person, as my chosen person, is to be circumcised. So this is the verse. It says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. You might look at that and you say, well, that's kind of weird. Why would God choose something like that of all things? But one thing I wanted us to see in that verse, it says that this thing that God has chosen, circumcision, is a sign of the covenant between me and you, he says. But guess what people do? Guess what we as humans do? We latch onto some requirement and we say, well, I have to have that in order for God to accept me. But you notice what God says, it's a sign of the covenant. In other words, the covenant's already there. This is what you do to demonstrate the covenant, to signify the covenant. How do we know this? How do we know that Abraham, this pillar of faith in the Old Testament, didn't do this in order to be saved. Because Paul, that's the argument we're going to have here in in Acts chapter 15, is that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. But these people can't get past it. Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, let me read for you from Romans chapter 4. So Paul actually goes back to Romans 4, and he says, I want to go back to Abraham and explain this to you. Abraham was not actually saved by circumcision, by this thing that the Jews say you have to have. Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is important. Paul and all the New Testament writers go back to this and say, do not think that you're saved by circumcision or by keeping the law of Moses, or anything else you could fill in the blank with. You are saved by trusting in God alone. Even Abraham was saved that way. Further down in chapter 4, it says this. uh, Let's see, verses 9 through 11. Is this blessing then, is salvation only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? 
We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Verse 10, it was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So Paul in in Romans goes all the way back to, to Abraham also, to this whole thing called circumcision and says, that is not what saved Abraham. And guess what? If it didn't even save Abraham in the Old Testament, it's definitely not going to save you today in the New Testament or today here in 2020. It's a real problem that we run into in these first couple of verses. Jesus plus whatever. Because that's not the gospel. We're going to see the gospel in just a minute. But before we look at that gospel, I want to ask you this question. What are you, what am I, or what are people today tempted to add to the gospel? Jesus plus, you know, you probably don't hear a lot of discussions about you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Uh, you probably don't hear a lot of people saying you have to follow the law of Moses in order to be a Christian or to go to heaven. But here are some things you might hear. We have to believe Jesus and you have to do good works. We have to believe in Jesus and you have to come to church every Sunday. Or you have to believe Jesus and come to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm not sure where we get that one, right? You have to believe in Jesus and you have to have the right family pedigree. In other words, if if your parents were Christians, then you're good. You have to believe in Jesus and you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Or you have to believe in Jesus and take communion every time it's offered in order to be saved. If we say any of those things, we are saying that it's Jesus plus something else that saves us. And brothers and sisters, the message of the book of Acts is that it is faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. You know, there's only one door to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. If you look around this room, you could have come in this room, I'm counting about six or seven different doors you could have actually entered into this room to come and attend worship. And a lot of times we like to think, humans like to think, that the more doors I walk through, the more things I accomplish, the better off I'm going to be, and the more God's going to accept me and love me. But God says there's actually only one door, only one way you can come in to have a relationship with me. And that is through Jesus Christ. And that's the pure gospel. That's the pure gospel. And we want to look at that. We see this in actually verses 6 through 18. Now, you know, sometimes when you're on the road and you're using your smartphone and you're using Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever map app you're using, um, sometimes you might say, I'm going to go off on this little detour. Well, what does your GPS say? Sometimes it says recalculating or new new plan, whatever. It says you have to reroute. And that's exactly what happens here in verses 6 through 18 is, is the apostles say, well, hold on, hold on. We're taking a wrong turn here. If you're saying Jesus plus, guess what that's going to do? That's going to lead you to the wrong destination. That's the wrong destination because God only saves through Christ, not through Jesus plus anything. So we want to read these verses, and it's almost like a time of recalculation for us to refocus and look again at what it is that Jesus accomplishes for us. It's the heart of what we believe. It's the heart of why we gather here for worship. And that's exactly why we remember Jesus' sacrifice at least once a month here as a church family. So the pure gospel 
the pure gospel. We want to look at verses 6 through 18. The first thing we're going to see is that all are welcome. All are welcome. And we see that unfolding in the book of Acts. So let me read just through these verses and kind of point out some things as we go. Verse 6 says this. So they had this big disagreement and the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter, to consider this problem. Verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Hit pause right there. What he's talking about is what we talked about last week. Acts chapter 10 and 11, where God gave Peter this vision. And Peter went to tell this Roman centurion, this foreigner, this non-Jew. He went to tell him all about the good news of Jesus, that he could be saved from his sins through Jesus. And so Peter says, Remember that revelation that God gave to me and remember the experience I had when I went to talk to Peter or to Cornelius in chapter 10 and God verse 8 who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to what Barnabas and Paul said as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And this is the words of the prophets. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Verse 16. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So what we see here unfolding in those verses is a description of the pure gospel. And the first thing that you see with the gospel is that it's available to all. All are welcome. This is a message that's proclaimed to anyone who will listen to it. We see that through what God did uh, with Peter in, in in Acts chapter 10. We see him saying there's no distinction between us and them. Remember, uh, Peter is actually a Jewish person. We see verse 12 when Paul and Barnabas relate what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So you see them saying, listen to these stories of what God has done. How can you deny the things that we're seeing? And then probably the most powerful thing is when James stands up uh, and in verse 16, he quotes the prophet uh, from of old. And he says, this is fulfilling what God predicted in Scripture. God said that one day all nations would come to him. He says that in the Old Testament, in Genesis. He actually says it all the way in Revelation as well, that from every tribe and tongue and nation, all will be worshiping Jesus Christ. All are welcome. In Acts, all people are welcome to hear the good news and respond to it. This is a picture of the multiplication that happens in the book of Acts. And last week we put different colors in that picture. 
Because in Acts, we see that all races, all ethnic backgrounds, all social backgrounds, all economic backgrounds, slave and free, Jew and Greek, barbarian, Scythian, you name it, they are all welcome to hear the gospel and respond to it. But why is this important to make such a big deal out of all being welcome? You see, in Scripture, the word all is repeated a lot of times. It's repeated all the time, if we can say it that way. Uh, In Isaiah 53, it talks about how we all have a problem. It's important that all are welcome because we all have a problem. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Scripture is full of texts that point out the fact that we all have a problem. We are all flawed sinners. And guess what? The wages of that problem leads us to to experience the penalty of death. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But guess what? The gift of God, God's gift, is that all who believe are saved by grace alone. All who believe are saved by grace alone. And that is the heart of the gospel, is that anyone who believes that Jesus Christ died in their place, his body was broken for them, his blood was shed for them to wash away their sins, anyone who believes that will be saved. We call that through grace alone. Grace is one of those key theological words you see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. But the basic thought behind grace is this. It's God's undeserved favor. He wants to show favor to you, to give you a gift, and it's not deserved. That's the heart of the gospel. You are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Did you catch that in verse 11, Acts 15, verse 11? It says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. In verse 9, it says that he cleansed their hearts by faith. I love the fact that Peter, when he's talking here, uh, says that we are going to be saved just like they will be. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he has no illusion that, hey, just because I'm Jewish and I'm circumcised, I deserve it more than they do. No, he says, I'm saved for the same reason they are. And that is God's grace. God's action on my behalf. What an amazing promise. What an amazing gift. You know, we've seen this before in the book of Acts, though. Last week in chapter 10, verse 43, it says, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the heart of the gospel. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Next week, Miguel's going to, or not, uh, two weeks from now, we're going to look at Acts 17. But right before Acts 17, we also have Acts 16.31 that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All of this kind of reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. One of the most clear presentations of the gospel in Scripture. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a gift, God's grace. It is the gift of God. 
You know, when you have a birthday, we've said this before, when you have a birthday or a Christmas and somebody says, I'd like to give you a gift, you have to receive that gift. You have to take that gift. And that's what trust is. It's, it's saying, I receive what you're giving me, Lord. I can't provide this on my own. And I trust that only by depending on you can I be saved. It's a free gift. God provides it. The bread and the cup symbolize it. They symbolize the fact that this is what we truly need to be saved. Is the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ alone. All who believe are saved by grace alone. You know, when you buy, let's say, a cable TV package, you can add this feature and the price goes up. And then you can add this set of channels and the price goes up. And you can add the sports package and the price goes up. And it keeps creeping up. But the beautiful thing about salvation is it's not like something you subscribe to or have to pay for. You get the maximum premium package. You get full and unmitigated forgiveness of sins. And the price has already been paid in full. It costs Jesus everything. His very life. His blood and his body. But it costs us nothing. That's a free gift. That's grace. It's a transaction that blows our mind. And it's amazing. That's the heart of the gospel. All who believed are, are saved by grace alone. But then the third part of this pure gospel is we see, first of all, it's God's plan. All are welcome. Second, we see that it's God's gift. All who believe and trust in it are saved by grace. But then we see that God's presence comes through the gospel. Because when you trust in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, God comes to live inside you. Through the Holy Spirit. All who are saved receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit. And again, this is not something you can opt out of and say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want the Holy Spirit. I don't want God to live with me. Because that's what it means to know God and receive forgiveness is that he comes into a relationship with you and lives with you forever present in your life. God is with you so he can work through you like he does through the apostles in the book of Acts. But also don't miss this fact. He wants to work in you to transform you as his follower. That brings us to this third point in our message today is that the outcome of all this, the outcome of the pure gospel is that Jesus transforms sinners. Jesus transforms sinners. We saw that so powerfully in Acts chapter 9. When Saul meets Jesus and trusts him, God changes him radically. We see this happening all through the book of Acts, all through the New Testament. And I look around this room, I can tell you stories that many of you have shared with me how the gospel has changed you. Jesus has transformed you. You're not what you used to be. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And we see that in this last section of the chapter because the apostles come together and they say, here's what the pure gospel is. They all agree on it. It's saved by grace through Christ alone. But then they say, now that you're saved, the result is that Jesus is going to transform you. I want to read some of these verses. Here's the decision they come to on this dispute. They all agree that no, it's not by circumcision. 
So verse 19, James says this, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we shouldn't make them be circumcised. But, verse 20, we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For the, from the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. Uh, had those verses on the screen. Skip ahead later in the chapter, verses 28 and 29. He kind of repeats this. Here's the letter they send out to those Gentile believers. Here's what he says. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. You might read that and you say, wait, hold on. I thought you just said we all agreed that it's not Jesus plus anything. So now why does he throw out these four things that he says, let's just just these four things, not everything, just these four things. What's going on here? I think, first of all, like we said, we have to look back at what that heart of the gospel is. They say unequivocally, you are saved by grace through faith. So whatever we're talking about here in verses 19 and following is not for their salvation. Okay? It's not so that they can enter a relationship with God. It's not so that if they do these things right, then the Holy Spirit will come to live inside them. That happens by faith in Christ alone through grace alone. What James is talking about, here's how you live in light of the fact that you've been saved. You're a transformed person. And guess what? What we see happening here in the New Testament is a lot of arguing and debating. And the Jews are not getting along with Gentiles. And so James says this. The apostles all agree to say this together. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're told, to suggest for them the way that they ought to live so as not to offend one another. How do I know that? How do we know this is not like them saying it's Jesus plus this is another gospel? If you read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Or Romans 14, this topic of meat being sacrificed to idols comes up over and over again. And the topic of circumcision comes up over and over again in Galatians. And so what we see in all these chapters is, is, uh, is the apostles encouraging the believers to live in harmony with one another by observing things that will not offend their brothers, okay, their brothers and sisters. So why did they choose these things? Why did... The apostles choose these four things as the wise things for the Gentiles to do in order to not offend their brothers and sisters who are Jewish. You notice that three of them have to do with idol worship. It says meat sacrificed to idols from blood. In other words, that was the way that the animals were actually killed in sacrifice. The blood was kept in them. Um, and from what has been strangled. Again, different ways that people killed animals in those days. And, and basically, Paul or the, the apostles are saying, you've been set free from worshiping idols. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so he says, distance yourself from those things. You no longer have any association with, with idols. You're transformed. You don't worship them anymore. And furthermore, if you go back actually to, it's Leviticus chapter 17. We're not going to read this today. Leviticus 17 and 18. When God is giving the law through Moses, he actually says, even the foreigners among you need to do these things. And it's these exact same things that are mentioned here in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 15. Not for salvation, but as a way of wise living amongst one another. 
And then sexual immorality, that does reflect God's moral law. And there's no compromise on that uh, throughout the New Testament. And so Paul says, you've been saved, you've been transformed. Not Paul. The apostles say, you've been saved, you've been transformed. Now live like those who have been set free from sin and turn your back on it. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And the outcome is they live transformed lives. Transformed lives, looking out for the interests of others. You know, when you look at this chapter here in Acts 15, it's a course correction. It's a recalculation. People were starting to veer off saying, in order to be accepted by Jesus, you have to do these things before he will forgive you for your sins. And the apostles gather together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and determine and agree that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can transform you. And that's why we worship him alone, and that's why we trust him alone. So this morning as we end our time, I just want to say this. If that's something you've never done, or if you're not sure if you've done, talk to somebody who you know who has done it. Talk to me. Talk to Miguel or somebody else here at the church. But just know this. The pure gospel is that it's Jesus Christ alone who can save you. And that changes everything. That's why we gather to worship, and that's why we trust him. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the pure gospel, this good news, this announcement that Jesus came to save sinners. And God, I pray that any who don't know you yet would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And God, I pray that the rest of us who do know you, who have trusted Christ, would go out from here, Lord, and multiply our faith, multiply this gospel to many, many more people. God, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and make disciples.